freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. I have a, a very interesting guest today, someone whose name might not be familiar to you yet, but who I think is a, a guy who is starting to happen. And because he is, a whole bunch of people sent me this link at the same time to Dr. Willie J. Montague's tweet in which he features a trailer from a documentary called Systematic Deception. Dr. Montague is running for Congress in Florida's 10th district. And because he is a little bit less well-known than some of my other guests, and that's gonna happen from time to time, that everybody could be world famous all at once. I gotta ask him to introduce himself, tell us what he's about, in his own words, rather than have me read off his bio. And then we'll work our way towards the, the theme of systematic deception. Great. Well, first, thank you for the opportunity, uh, Mr. Coleman. And uh, I'll state this. I am first a, a believer. And then two, I state about my political stances as far as me uh, walking in the conservative uh, movement. But I'll start with uh, myself being the founding president of House of Timothy, which is a non-for-profit organization that helps to uh, cultivate youth and young adult men ages uh, 7 to 25. And then we also go from that to uh, working with human trafficking to help fight against human trafficking. We uh, knowing that Florida is number three in the country and uh, Orange County where I live is number two in the region. And so I do a lot of work with community development, cultivation of youth and young adult men, and really big about restoring the nuclear family. And so my background is pre uh, predominantly uh, centered around ministry and uh, uh, organization as far as activism in the community, as far as driving the community forward to work together. Is the House of Timothy in Orlando? Yes, the House of Timothy is in Orlando, but we serve a, pretty much a national base uh, where we have phone calls from all over the country, uh, sometimes even out of the country, where people want us to work with their son, because I, I work with just men, uh, work with their sons and well, helping. That is very smart. <laughs> <That's> very smart. <laughs> you just cut yourself out of a world of trouble. Let That's someone it. else handle the girls, man. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry I interrupted you. Okay, more. tell us more. No problem. So it, it just is really about, I, I grew up in a, um, a fatherless home, and then I grew up in a place where it wasn't the most, uh, I guess you say the uh, upscale area, but I recognized about opportunity. And I shared the story about the railroad track where we live, where we still had uh, pretty much like a segregation. Uh, and that segregation was dealing with, you know, blacks, white, you go across the railroad track, it was palm trees, it was brick roads, it was flourishing businesses and whatnot. And then you come back on our side and then you had pretty much a sense of, uh, uh, oppression. And what I realized was that race does not determine whether I can get a palm tree to brick, uh, palm trees or brick roads. It was about the mindset. And that's when I recognized that 
I had to do something even in my young age that what can I do? So I launched off an organization called Hope, Help Our People Excel, which helped to uh, spearhead where I am currently with working with House of Timothy and so forth. So how long has House of Timothy been in business? We've been up, I want to say we uh, uh, really started back in 2010. We did not actually get our uh, uh, non-for-profit status until 2015, but we have been working before then. And then in 2004 is when I actually started the organization. Um, I was like 16 years old. So it's been around, uh, but we're, we're actually in, you know, we're now, you know, an established organization versus me just having a vision and, and a plan, but it's exciting to be able to see the results of that and see those who have come up and around or those that have been impacted. I get messages from sometimes from those who were my classmates who were those who uh, uh, challenged uh, me or were pretty much bullies and they're coming back and saying, now I see the reason why you were like you were. And, you know, I'm seeing that now I'm in that path. So it took some years for them to get there, like 20 years, but <laughs> at least they're coming back and acknowledging that somehow, some way I was able to help them. Well, let me ask you something that maybe other listeners are wondering, who's Timothy? Why Timothy? I, as a, as a Jew, that's, that's one of those names that is not part of our tradition. Uh, and I know it, it, that it is, he's a, he's a figure from the New Testament. What's the relevance to Timothy in the naming of the, of the house of Timothy? And that's where it's to, to, to me is a biblical reference. I look at, I, as I, again, I go back to where I didn't have uh, a father figure or any type of male role model. So when I look in, in the New Testament and you look at uh, Paul dealing with Timothy, that's where that, where that name Timothy comes from. Paul was a uh, mentor to Timothy. Uh, was someone that he called him a son of the faith. And so I looked at it as a, a, a place where people would come to a house of other Timothys, other young men who need coaching, needed development, needing mentorship and fathers. Uh, and that's um, where it comes from. And actually I adopted, I have an adopted son. I adopted, Florida's an adult adoption state. So I adopted him when he was 19 uh, through the organization. That's when I read, recognize that okay this this is why it's house of timothy you know we're 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 taking in young men and it's it's way bigger than um just having a rehabilitation we really consider ourselves a family-oriented organization uh, and, and pretty much all of them call me pops or papa or dad uh because we just become that family so here you are serving humanity serving god helping people to have something you didn't have and which I was very privileged to have, but my dad didn't, which was a dad and doing good works. And then you decide you want to go to the dark side by which I mean, Washington, DC. <laughs> so what would make a man of your quality do something like that? Well, you know, uh, I got involved with politics when I was 14. It was my high school teacher that introduced me to conservative values. And uh, so alongside of the conservative values, alongside of me also working with, yeah, so conservative values and working along with uh, my uh, organization or outreach to the community, I recognize that now uh, more than ever, that if I really want to get something accomplished, I can get a, a, a bigger grasp on that by being able to go in the political arena because I was sharing with someone last night that uh, you know I've had church I've started churches and, you know, you know, you have ties often or whatever the case may be, people want to give and you, you may have that. And when they give, it's like, okay, you can't really get them to go past that. 
um, you know, I run a nonprofit organization. You really can't get people to donate to nonprofits like they used to. Uh, so when I looked at it, I'm like, I can't really go anywhere. So then when I looked at me running for office, I started thinking about how all politics is local and that it's time to return the voice of the people back to the people. And they, they're looking for action. And my three R's that I stand on is real, relevant, and relational. People want you to be real with them. They want you to be transparent and honest. They want you to be uh, relevant, making sure that it appeals to what is happening currently right now. And then they want you to be relational. How can you relate to me? And I have story for days because I've been there. I've been homeless. I've experienced those things. And so I realized, wait a minute, this is really ministry. This is really ministry. Of course, I got to do you know politics, but it's ministry. And so I look at it like I can get more accomplished in, in, in executing the goals that I feel like I'm called to do. I'm doing it this way. And so I just I, I spearheaded the, the movement of uh, running for last cycle. I didn't get past the primary, jumped in pretty late because it was, um, you know, the pandemic and everything like that. And then I made a promise that I was going to continue to run no matter what the outcome was after the primary. And I did. Uh, the primary was August 18th. I filed for 2022, August 19th of 2020. And uh, I, <laughs> I continued to fight. And so I'm into, I'm into politics because I believe that if we want to really see change, we need to start now. You know how many, so many politicians are get up and say, we're going to do X, Y, Z when we get elected. Well, just two weeks ago, I launched off a whole campaign that is designated to getting the work done now with grassroots. I mean, literally it's working. We have people bringing jobs uh, from Chicago, I mean, from, excuse me, just from Illinois, bringing jobs down to, uh, to help us with getting um, skills, skilled trade type schools. And uh, we're opening the school, uh, a ninth to 12th grade uh, level school. Hopefully this fall, we get everything together. Uh, we're working with uh, reducing the homeless population, especially our veterans, because we have three, 3,500 plus. So we're working in that area. So we have like so many things we're doing. It's called Let's Do It. That's the, the campaign's name uh, connected to my campaign for Congress. And so that's why I jumped in. We have a bigger platform. We have more people that are uh, have been drawn to us. And they're saying, wait a minute, Willie is about action. That's really my honestly my heart and uh that i'm after is like what can we do right now because as i tell people you can walk down the streets and see that your community is dirty but they can't wait for you to pick up the trash in november on election day because you're elected now you can go pick up the trash the trash it needs to be picked up the community needs to be clean people need jobs people you know need to find out what what can i do without the government's dependency and so that's where i am what can we do how can we do it and when can we do it isn't it just enough to call yourself a community organizer, though? Do you really have to do anything? Yeah, well, I can say that I'm a community organizer, <laughs> uh, or I can get up there and make some noise in D.C., and I'm a noise maker. <laughs> so, so I want to get up there and, and challenge. And I challenge even Candace right now. Like, when Candace are running, I say, can you, can you show me uh, what you're doing? Like, you know, you're running off this platform, great, but let, let's chat. And actually, it has started a lot of stuff going on in, in uh, my county because we have, you know, surrounding counties where people are running for office. And it has really challenged people because they're like, you know, Willie's over there doing that. And they're like, okay, well, great. Uh, you know, there's like, so are you going to do something? So it actually has put fire under the feet of a lot of politicians and uh, that are already elected and those who are running because it's like, we need you to make a, we need you to make some moves. Show us that you're actually busy about it. So I think I get to be the example. Uh, one of the newspapers said I was too community focused. Uh, that was okay too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, seriously, what did they, what did they, what were they trying to say? What were they trying to say? Basically what they was trying to say is. You don't know about foreign policy, like uh, Congressman Ocasio, for example, and you're not an expert like her. 
No, no, no. I'm not, I guess I'm not there. But they basically saying run for something local. What you're saying, I said, I get it. I can talk to you if I need to and research, get the. I tell people, you know what you know. I can get I can get down to the policy. I've been around politics since I was 14. So you're know, speaking about policies and statistics. That's great. But the everyday person that's going to go to the election polls have absolutely uh, no access to know how what's the necessity of knowing the percentage of how much traffic goes through the street and uh, helping to rebuild infrastructure. They care less. And so my goal is to talk to those who are actually going to vote, those who are actually going to stand and be the, the voice for me on the local level. All the other people can, yeah, I can come and talk to you and get on, you know, Newsmax or Fox and tell you about those statistics, which I can. But, um, you know, it's time to appeal to the people that actually are going to vote for you. <laughs> so that's where I am. So what do you think is between you and achieving that goal? Besides the Democratic Party, which supposedly has a better hold on the 10th than it did before redistricting. I think that the challenge I'm facing now uh, is really just we one, you definitely you know the, the fundraising effort, especially when you got, you know, and, and then sometimes it's pretty much almost like the establishment thing. Uh, but it's more like people need to realize, like, this is the real deal. I'm the real deal. And so my challenge that I'm facing now is is getting my voice to be heard in certain platforms where uh, you know, it's not. And I feel like if people would actually be able to hear the plan, hear where I am, see that, okay, wait a minute, you know, let's, let's not try to fight against, against him because it doesn't look like what we're accustomed to. Let's, let's, let's get busy. So that's what I'm facing pretty much uh, between, you know, of course, fundraising is always important, but also making sure that uh, even outside of the Democrats, which I'm, we're actually having bipartisan support with the campaign. I've had people switch their party affiliations because they want to make sure to vote for me. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely on that side are, are doing well, but we just need to be able to get that message to uh, larger platforms and people that can actually say, wait a minute, uh, this guy has something is worth to listen to. Talking about getting listened to, the, the issue is, and you know, what caught my attention just this, in, in addition to your, your overall story here is the pinned tweet to a documentary by Frank Panico called Systematic Deception. You want to tell us about that and what your role is? Um, absolutely. So this um, documentary film is going to be full-fledged. I can't wait. We're waiting to you'll get the date on it, uh, the actual launch. But he was introduced to me by someone else who's running for Congress in a, in a neighboring district. And uh, some of the people that is in it, I actually, you know, know because we met when we was in Vegas at a training for candidates. And so really the film is really to de really to debunk um, the notion that we are in this, this race war and that when I walk outside, when I walk outside of the house, I am a target now because of the color of my skin. And so really it, we're, we're having a dialogue. This documentary is a dialogue. It's to share about our experiences as being black and what we have seen, the, the corruption that has taken place with the Democrat party, how they have come in to make everything a, a divide and what our, um, our examples of in life, like how we have experienced it and where we come from and how we get out of it and how we can expose this uh, left's agenda uh, pretty much, uh, which is a, a racist agenda. And I believe that when this is fully released, I believe it doesn't matter what anyone's party affiliation is. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what their, their beliefs are with race. They're going to have, I've had so many people message me and said, thank you. This has opened my eye. Thank you guys for this. And um, it's, it's, that was only like 
two minutes and 30 seconds. So the whole film was like two hours. So it's, it's going to be interesting when it comes out. Uh, and I'm excited because we, we recorded some great, some great um, information. I mean, my part alone was an hour and a half. Of course, that's not all going to be in there, but it was an hour and a half of recording and it was nonstop conversation and some like targets. And we just called it out like it was from down to the church uh, where sometimes that is some of our issues uh, because the church also helps to pan into this divide. So it's going to be, it's going to be, I, I may not be liked when it's all finished, but uh, we'll, we'll have the truth out there. Well, I mean, first of all, it's got to get out there, right? That's part of what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, build a little bit of anticipation for it. I haven't seen it myself. And if it weren't for uh, my brother sending me your tweet and then finding out that you followed me, which was even more exciting, I said, boy, <laughs> I, one thing I, I know about Willie Montague was that he's a, he has excellent taste. <laughs> so have you yourself encountered this deception system about race relations in the United States is in your in your career in other words in recent years not just not necessarily 10 or 20 years ago I, I believe we have to have the conversation and the conversation is whether or not we are uh we are at a disservice because of the color of my skin and I do not believe that I do not believe where and I shared that story about the crossing the railroad track it was led to believe that because I was on the other side of the railroad track, that I was the one who was suppressed. I was the one who was oppressed because I could not have what was on the other side of the railroad track. Then because of that thinking, that's how most of the black communities think is because what they have been told. And one of, to me, one of the greatest sins is the tradition of man because grandfather said, grandmother said, mama said, daddy said, and I go by what they said. I never myself took the initiative to cross over the line. And that's what I did. I crossed the railroad tracks and I recognized this is not true. That's why I can speak personally for myself that in these latter days that I've been running for office, doing with organization, I have not experienced this great divide that they're talking about, even when it comes to critical race theory, even when it comes to uh, of the, 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 the saying voter suppression because I'm black and you know they're changing the voter laws and requiring voter ideas, suppressing the black vote. I, I just don't understand it. Well, Willie, hold on a second. You, you're a black man. I assume that you don't know how to get a, an, a, an ID, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to be real polite here, but I my assumption is that a man who started all these schools and who speaks at all these prestigious universities is still notwithstanding all those achievements. I imagine guys guys like you and and um, you know uh, Barack Obama and you know, and Jay-Z, none of you have IDs. None, none of you people have IDs, right? Right. It's, it's, it's been so difficult. I just can't make it. <laughs> there is this, would, would you not agree that there is a sort of conception among people, whether, whether or not they have much to do with Black people in their everyday lives or not, or, or, or any minority, that if I notice if I open my eyes and notice that you're black, just as you notice that I'm a Jew or that I've got glasses or immutable traits, that I'm already, I'm already doing something wrong. The systematic racism is now kicking in because I acknowledge that there's a difference between us. But I mean, I know that that's allowed in one direction, but if I do it from my direction, that's some kind of problem. Right. And that's and that's and that's what it is. Most of this is, is one sided, again, because it goes back to 
um, your perception. I acknowledge what I saw based off of what my eyes, and then you acknowledge what you saw for me. And then somehow it, it, going back to that whole definition or defining fact of critical race theory based off the fact that, you know, an example that I heard that was used is um, there's a store owner, the store owner, there's, there's two customers, one is black, one is white, both come into the store. The uh, clerk takes the order of the black person first. The black person can say, oh, you think I'm going to steal. So you had to come to me first. So then the other, the other scenario of that is, oh, now I'm, I'm because I'm black, I'm a second class citizen. And so either way you put it is like because of the, 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 the color of my skin, not, not because of my environment, not because of my values, none of that is thought about. It's because of the color of my skin and because you look at me, either way you put it, if you take me first or take me last, I am now a target because of the color of my skin. And uh, to me, okay, and I'm gonna back up. Yes, there are individuals who are racist. And I tell people because racism is a condition of the heart. That is what racism is. So you can't get rid of racism. And I said, because if that was the case, they would have already, you know, Biden would have already did an executive order. You, you can't get rid of racism because it's a condition of the heart. But what you can do, I tell people, it's not what you say or do that matters as much as how you respond to what is said or done to you. And so my response to any type of racism that I notice, and I have been around, I cannot say I have not experienced it in some form or fashion, that did not change my mindset because that individual is misinformed uh, and uneducated. And it's either I can inform that individual of who I am, what we stand for, and they can change their thinking and they can repent and get their, the condition of their heart correct, or they can choose to live in that deception of their for themselves. But to make a widespread and paint a, a broad stroke, that's absolutely uh, absurd to me. And that's what's happening. And uh, I was just on, uh, on Mark Lamont Hill, and it was horrible because he has, he has absolutely no uh, real sense of really what's happening around other than him trying to be the good guy in the Black community and is destructive and poison. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> you, you, hit, you hit upon a couple. Yeah, Mark, you know, Mark follows me very closely and he's going to really be offended. You said, you know, your example about going into the McDonald's. Was it McDonald's? I remember when I first realized like 10 years ago that the McDonald's commercials were all using black voices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, it's getting worse because I, I'm looking at movies. Any, I used to, there's a movie, I, I went out of the movie, it's a series called uh, Blacklist. And I love it. Raymond Red, I love that kind of type of style of things. But now I notice that they're starting to uh, in, uh, include more black characters. Uh, and then they're starting to now uh, speak about the issues that's happening in society. That's included. And I'm noticing that even when they're changing the, the characters with superheroes, it's becoming because, as I mentioned in there, if you want somebody, I've, I've seen, I think it was this pastor. I don't know if those that know Lecrae, the, the Christian rapper. Uh, he, it was some pastor that went and went to go dust his shoes off as an act of like so surrender or humility because he's black. And this white pastor, and I said, is this serious? If that was flipped around, we would be in an uproar. Oh, you want me to clean your shoe? And now it's okay because it's re reversed. And like now, you know, like this is what we've been through for the last 400 years. So now we're gonna show you what it means, how we, what we went through. Again, it, it goes back to it's a one-sided thing because once once somebody comes and say, no, you clean my shoes, what you ain't gonna have me clean well, now because I'm black, you know, so it's it's it's, it's getting out of hand and um, but it's only looked that way, like I said, one-sided.
I want to tell you a story, and and this is going to be, you know, one of the criticisms I've gotten uh, in my my early foray into podcasting is, is I talk too much, <laughs> and that's a problem. So actually, someone said to me last night, "Firstborns talk too much," and he's another lawyer, but. I have to tell you this story when you the example you gave when I was in college, some people see me tweet this story. We used to they used to pay if you could make a few bucks if you want, if you would be willing to do to be a subject in psychology um, experiments. And, you know, it was really light. It wasn't like medicine. It was be a human guinea pig for some behavioral research. So I signed up for one of these. and I went into a room and they said, OK. You're next, Mr. Coleman. Please go into go down the hallway and then go into one of the two rooms at the end. And I so I go down the hallway into the and there are two rooms. They're equally furnished the same way. Two guys in there. On the right is a black guy, and the left is a is a white guy. And I look in, and uh, and I don't, neither one of them makes eye contact with me. So I said, okay, I better go into the room with the black guy, or it'll look like I favored the white guy. And after I, as soon as I walked in the room, they said, okay, you, the experiment's over. And the student who was running the experiment said to me, okay, you know, you should be very, you should be congratulated. You should congratulate yourself because uh, you're not prejudiced. I said, what do you mean I'm not prejudiced? I chose the black guy in order, because I felt defensive about being perceived as prejudiced. Right. That doesn't mean, first, or, or alternatively, I'm in favor, I, I prefer the black guy. But it, it's such a, this was 30 plus years ago. It's such a facile way of, of addressing these issues. But I think it's the same level of so-called sophistication. It's pathetic. Again, it's the condition of the heart. And anybody could, like some of these people are doing this just on the surface of things and may, you know, in fact, not even agree with that. And that's why I said it doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, at the end of the day how much they try to paint this world as, or this country as not being you know, this racist nation, whatever, because of what they want people to perceive. If people are going to be that, they're going to be that. The same thing is that I can't, I can do anything more or less to be who I am. Uh, the same way it is with, uh, uh, you, you know, you can sit there all day long and keep saying that the chicken is not the chicken, it's a turkey, but that chicken will never become the turkey. Right. You know, so it's, it's it, it never you you can talk it all day long and say, yeah, you know, I, I'm not racist. I'm not I'm not this. I'm not that. And you do this. Like I said, you know, I can go and say that I'm a car and sit in the garage and I and I'm still I'm still going to be a human. I'm not going to be a car because I'm sitting in the garage. So if you were in Congress, if you made it, what would you be able to do there to change this? I'm going to call it messaging because by calling it messaging, I get to keep it in the theme of my podcast. What's step one for Dr. Willie J. Montague, for, for Representative Willie J. Montague, Florida 10, R? I would say the first step is, um, and I, I've shared this, is um, I want to find out what other colleagues uh, that are, because um, I, I believe we'll flip the house, uh, other colleagues are looking at and how we can collectively work together to uh, engage the messaging, engage the conversation, because I believe the conversation need to be had uh, from that level, not just tweets, not just segments of where that person there, but that we all get together. It doesn't matter, black, white, or whoever. We sit there and we say, let, let us actually speak from our platform and use that. And then we can look at ways where we can really address and say, this is it. We addressed it from a federal level. We said it, there's 
really, I believe that again, it's up to the states and those individuals to make choices uh, when it comes to, uh, to to their lives and their selves. So I don't believe in any federal federal regulations that we can really do. But I would say that we can have the conversation. That's the first thing I would do is sit down with others that would agree with what I'm saying, agree whether they're black, white, or whoever, and say let's let's make this into a town hall. Let's have a a, 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 a town hall. Let's have this discussion. Let's bring in um, some experts. Let's hear the the, the opposing side and let's find out this is this is where we stand this is our stance let's go and i and that's what i want to do i'm a person that don't mind being confrontational because i feel like so long we'll kind of back up so i'm not gonna say x y and z because you know i can i'm like no you choose not to not that you can't <laughs> you choose not to because you don't want to you know uh scare off either one or the other sides but when truth is truth and i, I love the scripture that, uh, that says, uh, is in Galatians that said, have I now therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. That's right on. That's exactly. And the fact of the matter is that that, that is today, that speaking the truth has indeed become an act of rebellion in, the, in this environment, such, such that, especially in the, in the political tribal environment. I mean, have you been called an Uncle Tom yet politically? I've been called the Uncle Tom. I've been called the killer. I've been called a coon. Uh, the list goes on. So I've been called everything. Some things I don't even want to to repeat. <laughs> I bet you. I, I don't want you to repeat them on my show either because <laughs> censorship is a thing. Well, you know, I'm really glad. I, I can't believe how fast the, the time went by. It's been great talking to you and getting to know you a little bit. And I'm gonna be looking out for your stuff on Twitter. And when that documentary comes out, you'll be sure and let me know so that we can we can help, uh, you know, spread it around. There is a, a tremendous uh, mission that we have, which is to speak the truth, whether or not people consider us enemies. Uh, our job is to be truthful and to and to fight the good fight. And it looks like you're you're used to to doing it and willing to keep doing it. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, absolutely. And thank you for the time and opportunity. A real pleasure. You have a great day. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.